Because, Corey, that sounds like it's about to be fucking smart. So maybe let's put it on Smart people. Let's put it on wax. Um. Smart people shit in the podcast because we're so smart. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gay Space Communism. Woo! I'm gay. I'm space. And I apparently have communism this time. Woohoo! Fabulous. (laughs) Uh, I am, as always, Paul Byron, joined as ever hopefully for the rest of the shows but certainly for the first one i'm rachel this is also my first episode ever of gay space communism ever <laughs> and i'm Corey. we have various credentials and stuff you can find on our internet what's this in the thing let's get moving yes let's um so it is january 7th 2021 and yesterday a bunch of Donald Trump supporting white supremacists tried to do a coup by taking over the congressional building and were fully assisted by the police. It was wild. I want to back off this for just one second and say that the QAnon movement is not in itself white supremacists and that those largely were QAnon and Q supporters. And while their while they're ideal outcomes largely align with a lot of the national, hard nationalist, sort of traditionalist, anti-democratic, and white nationalist movements, QAnon is not itself white nationalist, and that is definitely what these motherfuckers were. That being said, For sure. still very bad that they took the Capitol building with guns and were met with no resistance. None. Oh, not, not just no resistance. Yeah. They, they were... did have the active assistance of the police. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like, there's video of the cops just literally opening the barricades and welcoming them in and then politely and gently escorting ladies down the stairs as they're leaving, as opposed to violently arresting them the way that they would if they were black and brown protesters. It it was just obscene. Obscene. Yeah, it was unbelievable and also completely unsurprising to anybody that's been watching or a part of the police abolition movement, you know, ever. Yeah. Or just was watching at all during the last nine months of people getting their heads beat in for being in the street. Yeah. Yeah. For something that exists and for which there's evidence and like redress needs to be. Ah. Tell me about it. You know, given uh, sort of the trajectory we're heading on, it's fitting that our first episode of the show that is ultimately about how we get Star Trek should be about World War Three and riots. Well, it is, as they say, a long road getting from there to here. That's right. That's and it's terrible that that's the first episode title that we have to lift it from Enterprise's shitty, shitty travesty of a theme song. But boy, howdy! (laughs) Emphasis on the howdy. Um, That is easily the worst part of the Star Trek experience, and I am including the first movie in that. Hey, that is a Christmas movie, and I welcome listeners (laughs) to enjoy our hour-long special on why that is. I mean, that movie would be fucking great on like a couple of tabs. Just. Watch the colors. It'd be a blast. Um, it takes otherwise, so long. Everything it's in that so movie, long. It, it is just a regular episode with like an hour and a half of pan shots over cool shit they built, which is cool shit, and I won't fight that. But mm. I agree. That's so. a whole separate thing. We'll, I'm sure, come back to the movies someday. But right now, we are going to talk about riots, uprisings, and also I have a conspiracy theory I want to introduce uh, that the Star Trek universe actually takes place wait, wait, in wait. a parallel. Hold on with hold on to that one. Oh. Let's get a little further in before we drop the weirdness on them because I love right, that theory. Right. But I want to you know I what think, I'll save it. Yeah, playing this out yeah. will give that a whole delicious new context. So but yeah, so it 
that long road. So here we are. So we're Gene Roddenberry. We're writing Star Trek. We're post-World War II. He is trying to figure out what would make everyone stop being bad. And it has to be a series of wars so awful we get our heads out of our collective asses and invent warp drives, I guess. Uh, And between here and there, there are a number of conflicts. We'll start with the birth of... Khan, Dr. Noonan Singh, and his work during the eugenics wars of the 90s, uh, which is basically just a replay of Nazism, but like with science shit. And he, I mean, Mm -hmm. like Gene Roddenberry foresees the use of genetic modification to essentially affect what would otherwise be, I mean, essentially brave new world type shit. Instead of putting alcohol into the fetal fluid, you just flip a couple of genomes up and down. This is bad, but they make super soldiers, which come back to be fun later. Largely unaddressed. They don't really talk about it besides the origin point of these, and I think that seems fair because everyone knows that story. But we did miss them yeah. this year, so that was this last. I, it, didn't, it didn't happen. I was alive during the late '90s. There were many wars, but few of them were about eugenics. I believe none, technically. Yeah, although there was yeah. a decent amount of controversy around cloning in the '90s. I do remember that. That was a whole big thing, uh, and that sort of led into the stem cell debate for a while too. Like, can you do stem cell therapies or whatever? There's there is cloning still very much happening. I think we've all just kind of moved on from the controversy of it. Yeah, exactly. It's like whatever cloning exists now. It's just a thing <laughs> that exists in our world. It's not interesting. We're not arguing about how it should be used. It's just there, and that's fine. Whip me right? up some livers. Yeah, exactly. Stop making clones of Pete Buttigieg. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, um, we really underdid it compared to the expectations, which is not to say we're not well on our way. I mean, who knows what will come in the future as we slowly dissolve as a species. So long. Thanks for all the fish. As they Sorry, say. I know I'm super doomer today. It's been a weird one. Well, I mean, how could you not be? Yeah, right. No, we're looking forward today. We're, we're coming together in unity and we're looking mm-hmm. forward and not backwards at those people that did that thing yesterday whose pictures are all over the internet and not in jail. Yeah, it's yeah. wild. Hell world. If anything's happened in the interim, listener, awesome. We don't see it happening. Great. Yeah, we won't know. <laughs> this is past us for you, the listener, because, you know, we're not live streaming it. And let's just set a precedent here of if we're wrong, do not fucking at us. We will make fun yeah. of you. I am a, this is a very bullying friendly nerd podcast. I will say that right now out loud. We'll shove you into a, into a space locker. Welcome to the pod, everybody. Uh, I think Khan is a very interesting character, and it's not just because we have the same name. Actually, having the same name deeply annoys me because my entire life people have learned my name and then just screamed it back at me. Ricardo Montalban! Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, Khan's interesting. He's been in a couple different eras of Star Trek because he was in the new movie, the remake movie. He was in a couple of the older movies. Well, he's in one of the older movies, which is a recoup of a se- an episode, So, which is a wild thing because it is Ricardo Montalban the whole way through well, until it's Sherlock. Right. And, yeah, why would you not want to recast that man? Look at his chest. He's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful man. So, I mean, yeah, but he's an interesting character, right? Because he's driven by these sort of very human motivations. And he has love for his people. But he also is, you know, like a genocidal maniac. And he poses kind of an interesting question for what would these people be like if we sort of genetically created our own ubermensch, what would he be? His character sheds a lot of light onto the anxieties 
of the people who wrote him, if that makes sense, right? They're afraid of being wiped out, of, you know, being replaced by these genetically superior creatures. And they're afraid that if we start doing that, you know, we're going to ultimately either destroy ourselves or decide not to do it anymore because otherwise, you know, what's to stop you from doing any number of things? And it's kind of a slippery slope to me. I don't really anticipate a genetics wars happening because frankly, I think what's most likely to happen is if we actually had the ability to gene edit people, uh, it would only be for rich people anyway. And so few people would be gene edited that it doesn't even matter, really. I think we're far more likely to experience a conflict where um, different powers are just enhancing their artificial intelligence and the ability to wage war without with machines versus versus human soldiers that that is more likely to be the center of of the conflict and we're really well on our way to that already I will go the other direction not just because it's fun to have conflict on a podcast but because I I think that there's a, a reasonable expectation that we will do I think uh, what is it? Ghost in the Shell is a really f- a wonderful example in some ways. And essentially it's the same thing, but we don't do it cybernetically. You do it genetically where you take individuals, you wire them up, you increase aggression levels, increase, dist- increase adrenaline pump levels, uh, improve neural response times and visual acuity. This is absolutely something we would do if it's possible. Like we would 100% be in there and those people would then be essentially weaponized humans. And I think this was, this was ultimately Khan's legitimate concern. He was made into a super soldier they said okay cool but we're also super frightened of you because you are frightening and we made you that way now you have to live in this box and he learned rightly that we were assholes and i i mean that he's his approach may be correct i believe that it's i mean like it ultimately morally it's wrong to genocide people but is the response of oh shit y'all are gonna hunt us down forever but the 12 of us could just kill all of you well we're gonna do that seems like it is not an unreasonable one to reach uh and i think the, the the place where that's what we do is absolutely somewhere we could be i mean well no that i mean that makes sense that's that's kind of the premise of the of the jason bourne franchise if you think about it so that makes sense holy shit jason bourne is a ripoff of con that's yep. probably true <laughs> you heard it here first folks <laughs> i buy it i mean no I think absolutely six million dollar man same kind of thing oh we made him pay it mm-hmm. off yeah fuck oops yeah right oh god imagine we're gonna do like bringing back indentured servitude, but for, like, medical care. Which is interesting. If you think about Jason Bourne franchise in particular, I mean, like, we we really set that concept up to be sympathetic to people. And so we're, we're really setting the stage for if our government decided to go that route, that we would have empathy for people as opposed to being afraid of them and wanting to control them. I don't believe that at all, actually. I think that would lead to all kinds of weirdness. I don't think it would be a compassionate application at all. Not that the not that the application would be compassionate, but that like the public response. Like that we've right. already been kind of primed. Yeah, the, the, the public yeah. response to people who have been genetically modified in that way. Right. I mean, I don't know. Like, think about the way people treat GMOs generally, though. You know, like, there's like an entire contingent of crunchy anti-vax moms in the valley who would absolutely start like some kind of quasi-turf-like campaign about bioessentialism, right? I believe that campaign already exists. We just have to get this product to market so they can target it too. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah. Like they they would just combine the current sort of GMO phobia and transphobias 
to create a hybrid phobia of people who have been genetically modified. And I think that absolutely, like the QAnon people would not take it well. I think they would go bonkers. I think a lot of centrist people would be very uncomfortable. You know, there would be huge amounts of resentment. Starfleet doesn't take it well. Julian Bashir and the genetically modified community that comes in the wake of this is absolutely shot down on the basis of the eugenics wars, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that, that is the, the illegality of that practice is set up from, oh, well, we did it dumb one time to make super soldiers, so now you can't make your babies have a less shitty time. I don't know what I, I mean. Like, it is ultimately a very strange <laughs> and represent and represents an essentialist approach to being and sort of being yeah. made of meat in that way, where like, oh, we'll just give him better nose and chin, smarter, but also, but like, and he's the perfect specimen whereas his other batch of weird misfit toys which come back around every now and then are all i mean examples of flaws that come about when you try and do this so why this so why you shouldn't like the right. can pass as a regular right the rest of these people get all are all essentially hugely neurodivergent by virtue of genetic modification yes absolutely but like just to say that starfleet doesn't do well with sort of navigating this territory because you, they yeah. can spin your dna back together to undo radiation poisoning but you can't modify a gene genome correctly was was happening that's a weird it's a weird yeah it's a weird line in the sand yeah it is their stem cell ban sort of i think that really captures sort of their attitude towards it and honestly it's kind of part of a larger pattern of uh starfleet kind of unpersoning people you know because We'll talk about this later on when we do the episode about like artificial intelligence, but they are very quick to deny somebody personhood if it inconveniences them. Yeah. Uh, and that's even as recently as Discovery, right? Because they had the yeah. uh, the giant space tardigrade that they had reason to believe was sentient and evil captain was, you know, stabbing him with like prods all the time every time they needed to jump. Well, I mean, that was evil captain. That was. Yeah, but big. I mean. But everybody underneath Evil Captain went with it, you know? Yeah, but it's not limited to that that kind of example, because even in, in Discovery, there are several characters that have artificial augmentations. You know, and of course, we see that with the Borg as well. So, But yeah, we'll get into that more when we actually talk about artificial life. But Oh, yeah. Their, their reaction to the Borg is very similar. Oh, the Borg are right to, to make the comparison. Yeah, they're like, oh, you just want to be like us. You just want to make it outfits and all you just believe all that shit in your heads instead of have a thing that tells you what's right. Where it's, yeah. yeah, right. Well, so anyway, uh, the genetics wars happened. It led to what I think we can safely call sort of broad spectrum bioessentialist unpersoning in the rest of the series. In the immediate term, a uh, let's call it uh, Soylent Green style dystopian set up yes it's yeah that sort of seems to be the way that that the future in that time and that immediate aftermath of that is presented which brings us to our bell riots discussion yeah yeah did that happen before or after world war three bell riots happen after world war three but world war three is ultimately that sticks and stones metaphor that uh, uh einstein offers us right it is essentially levels all of civilization even though zephram cochran's able to build a warp drive in the middle of montana out of nothing <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's Hope a whole. Up, dreams, no, don't buddy. worry, guys. the The TNG crew comes back and saves him, and they listen to Steppenwolf. Um, <laughs> yeah, the movies are abysmal, team. It's just so bad. We'll get to them each and every one, but they come. They'll pop up here and there. Uh, so yeah, no. So the Bell riots are occurring before in 2024. Uh, mm -hmm. So and then after that is of course a World War Three outcome, which is between 2024 and 2063. Yeah, which is the that's invention right. of that's the warp right. drive by Zephram Cochran and the, the meeting of the 
Vulcans and the entire sort of setting off of the timeline of the Federation. Or the Terran Empire, because it starts the same way. The Vulcans just show up and they shoot them and take their shit, is the Terran Empire. The Bell Riots are probably the most likely to actually happen of these. Although, I mean, maybe World War III is going to happen too. But I I think more than that, we're probably going to see something more like the Bell Riots. Um, I mean, we already are facing these problems, right? Like, I'll just read, actually, from the uh, Memory Alpha fandom page, the opening sentence, uh, and y'all can tell me how much this reflects, like, the current moment. By the 2020s, the American government, reacting to serious problems of homelessness and unemployment, created special sanctuary districts, essentially walled-off sections of the city grid in most major cities. (laughs) I mean, Trump himself tried to do that. Like they, he was touring states and yep. and was trying to pick out locations where poor people could be relocated. And there's certainly the continued persecution of people who are unhoused by uh, arresting them because that definitely fixes homelessness. Is just you know making them into criminals for no reason. It's right. we're we're well on this path already. Absolutely. And criminalization is a key driver of gentrification, too. These people who have been living here since way before, you know, the Brooklynites moved in are seeing the property values around them go up really, really fast. And their landlord is wanting to cash in on that, you know, and so they start harassing people. And we see this now. This is happening actively to some people that like I am in contact with in Atlanta that we're trying to fight back for. And that I could totally see happen. Right. Because like the people who end up in assisted housing or in government assisted housing are the same people that society is continuously denying access to. Right. It's it's the same sort of vulnerable populations and marginalized populations. So I could see that actually happening, especially because we have, you know, 40 million people on the verge of homelessness right now and no plan for how to address that. And people are starting to get evicted like now. Well, and I actually experienced something that was incredibly surreal during the pandemic that was highly reminiscent of the sanctuary districts that are are depicted in those episodes in Deep Space Nine. Just I'm living overseas right now and the country that I'm in, when we had a lockdown, like they did a lockdown. Like they did a like they built a fence around the neighborhood that I live in to wow. contain the spread of, of the disease. And oh my gosh. and like they built a field hospital about a block and a half from the building that I live in. There were military checkpoints literally out outside my front door. My friends that didn't live in the area had to go buy groceries for me and hand them to me over a fence because there's no grocery stores in the city that I'm or the you know the neighborhood that I'm in and and it was like that for 4 months we were locked down. And it oh was an unbelievably surreal experience and I just kept thinking like and they had the government here was bringing in truckloads of food to just hand out to people who were trapped and unable to work and weren't able to buy food and so they were just like, you know, handing them bags of groceries for basic subsistence and and they were providing medical care and they were providing food, but it, you know, long lines and military checkpoints and lots of control. It was a very surreal experience. So, you know, having witnessed a lot of this unfold around 
the world in the context of the pandemic, it is not hard at all for me to see the way that any government could mobilize those forces to exert that kind of control over any population that they wanted to, to control in that way. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we have that capacity is terrifying. I do want to say counterpoint. Come on down to Georgia. Everything's fucking open and we're all dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it right. sounds fantastic. Yeah, I don't like that level of control requires it is a substitute for buy in really is what the yeah, problem, yeah. the sort of terrifying aspect of that is, is because like you don't need military checkpoints if everyone knows that they have to deal with this and they know that yeah. their economic security and, li- and just life is not going to be destroyed by doing the wise thing and or the thing where you don't kill people. I don't know. Yeah, stay home. I, but it's you if your life is on the line, you go out. I don't know. It's so hard. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because Georgia, we're getting no help, and everyone has been. They said, "Oh, everything's essential. Restaurants can open. You can. Sh- what the fuck is wrong? Don't go inside to go drink a beer." With, ah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. I know. But yeah, I uh, was trying to uh, date during this for a while, and it was the biggest shit show. Oh no, we're gonna invent, they're gonna invent new STDs when this is over because everyone's <laughs> gonna be so starved for touch. Yeah, like God, and the things people would invite me to, like, "Hey, do you want to get a beer?" And I'm like, "No." Are you serious? <laughs> no. It's like an instant deal breaker. Like, ask me on a hike or something. Jesus. But yeah, so I mean, we we have this pandemic going on and it makes it feel really tangible and plausible that like if shit actually went down, they could just lock us into our neighborhoods and we would just be stuck with it. And the truth of it is, they've shown that the people in those positions of power, like in the police force, in the FBI, in the CIA, in the military, in the National Guard, are more than willing to brutalize American citizens, provided they're, you know, on the left. Exactly. So I think it is like a perfect backdrop for something like the Bell Riots to happen. I am trying really hard to prevent it from happening but i mean it i could see it happening and it's really frightening to me personally so let's sort of contextualize this again because it's a lot of fun it's not fun at all so Mm -hmm. one of the reasons the sanctuary districts are created of course is because prior to 2024 the federal employment act of 1946 is repealed the employment act of 1946 is just sort of a vague statement it doesn't actually do much uh, statutorily but it expresses a continuing policy and responsibility to coordinate and utilize all its plans functions and resources to foster and promote free competitive enterprise and the general welfare conditions under which there will be afforded useful employment for those able, willing, and seeking to work, and to promote maximum employment production and purchasing power. At some point, this is repealed, and it creates the conditions for where this homelessness inhabits. I think this is in way a gross overstatement of the power of this act, but does represent sort of the general stepping away from all the responsibilities to like enforce employment rules that we were that we saw with New Deal and then subsequent progressive gains, and we see sort of the pushback of of Prop Twenty Two, which is kind yeah. of your, that like the Employment Act of 1946 repealing that is basically super duper Prop 22 on a national level. Yeah, and I mean it's clearly like it was an accurate prediction of what would happen if capitalism stayed in control. Like it wasn't just the writers of Deep Space Nine that predicted this correctly, right? Like they were getting that information presumably from Marx. Honestly, I would be surprised if the people who did Deep Space Nine hadn't at least read Marx or like about Marx. They went to college in the 80s and 90s. They absolutely read Marx. That's part of the. I mean, it's a correct part of the curriculum. He wrote shit 200 years ago. You should check it out. Yeah, but I mean, that's like, it's the same sort of observations about the system just being applied to what we know about human behavior. 
I'm sorry. Are you saying that science fiction is being used to push some kind of political agenda? Because I, I, I have to leave the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm sorry to say this. Uh, this is a political show. One thing I'll say the set decorators did not get correctly is, and if you'll look at chat and we can put this up in the show notes, uh, the image that comes up for the sanctuary districts as one of the, it's one of the pan shots from the episode. They are real bad at making a camp. Yeah. Wow. That is not, like there's just random barrels on fire, people with tents in the middle of the road. Nothing's lined up. There's all this vaguely there, which again, I, okay, I get it. It's chaotic and you're set decking. But one thing we know from this being now a far more common thing in our own cities as we drive past people and like walk drive past people see people is that we're actually quite good at organizing these camps as we give given the opportunity they uh yeah there's rows there's like yeah people live in a way because they want to have a normal life yes because they want to live well and i mean to be fair to you know the deep space nine writers who lived in california in the 90s they didn't have like entire homeless cities in california in the 90s yeah that happened later as things continued to get worse but still, you'd line up against the side of the buildings, right? As a windbreak, and I just plop your tent right in the middle of the fucking road. Anyway, you would yeah, think, no, right? I, yeah, but that's you, would you know think. what? It's a it's so difficult. But yeah, this uh, the abandonment of the idea of providing viable opportunities for employment. I mean, ultimately, that forty six Employment Act is post depression response and an effort to be like, okay, yeah. Then this is a speaks to a push towards using the commerce clause in ways that was were not anticipated but basically formed the foundation of government as you know how it works today right um, which is a big part of what a lot of the sovereign citizens and a variety of sort of constitutional originalists which to move back to a version of that where the federal government just can't use that kind of power because it makes things expensive but ultimately it keeps me from having to be forced into labor because no one cares yeah so i think um the sort of modern answer to this is the green new deal right like people see these possibilities on the horizon and have been trying to think ahead to plan, you know, around them, uh, including obviously climate change, which was kind of on the radar in the 90s, but I don't think anybody at that point anticipated it would become the weird cult-like controversy it is. Right. Yeah, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that one. Well, there's so many policies wrapped up inside the Green New Deal, like the federal jobs guarantee, like, you know, universal health care. So that I, I agree completely. Like that's the way to avoid getting bell riots. And it's going to be interesting because a lot of people said, you know, a lot of people were joking that, well, if, if we were following Star Trek canon, then the bell riots would be happening right at the end of a Trump second term. But now that we know that Trump isn't going to have a second term, and instead we're going to have good old incremental Joe, wouldn't it be interesting if neoliberal incrementalism actually got us closer to bell riots than Trump uh, and all of his chaos would have? Yeah, I mean, well, also a thing to consider whenever there is a Democratic president sitting, uh, the amount of terrorism we see from white fundamentalists goes up a lot. We see mass shootings go up. We see hate crimes go up. It is a direct response to other people being in charge every single time. So in some ways, especially if Joe Biden does nothing to address these problems, we are worse off. For Biden being yeah. president. And I don't want to say like, generally speaking, it would have been better if Biden had lost because I don't think that's true either. But in terms of terrorism, in terms of social unrest, in terms of our expectations of continuing violence, I think we are really staring down the barrel of a literal gun right now. 
that was on full display yesterday. Yesterday being the 6th when the, the Magus stormed the Capitol. So spot on. Yeah. Hopefully in the future, when you're listening to this, dear reader, whatever. Not reader. That's not how audio works. I know. I mean, could, I, yeah, but look, right. Dear listener, if you in the future have seen us get through this, that's great. I sure hope so. Because otherwise, you probably won't be hearing this because they'll just come get us like secret police or whatever. So I'm just assuming you, person who's listening to this, are living in better times. And to the brain in a jar that's reviewing all human content for relevance to include in some giant sanctuary database after our culture has long been ground into the dust. Thanks for your time. Anyway, we're <laughs> sponsored by various toothbrush companies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I think that there is a massive problem in terms of a general discourse, right? And it's what you said a moment ago just jumped out at me, right? Where you said, it doesn't matter which one of them would have won. This is all so long coming in such weird ways. Like this has all been festering inside of and part of America that it like, yeah, yeah, closer, further. It's 200 years on the run. Like this is the, in the historical sense, a very short tail end of the problem, which has been yeah. building for the 45 years, 50 years of building the Christian right by the Re yeah. Reagan and all of their weaponizing and sort of pushing just slightly vague, but not quite in obvious militia inciting. I mean, like they do, they, yes. they believe in that. Their lives believe in that. They've let Dominion Christians and QAnon and all of these things happen and encouraged them to happen and ridden on them because they agree with them. I mean, like the rapture yeah. Christians were in charge of the bomb. That's bad. That's always bad. If you think the end of the world would be good for you, you shouldn't have the thing. And Democrats giving up on labor are around the same time because they realized they didn't have to have them to lose to Reagan, I guess. I don't know what, I, right, that was a weird, the sort of ways that, that the politics shook out and the sort of various pieces in play. But you saw austerity Democrats and weird Christo-fascist Republicans appear about the same time frame. The debate we have now sort of started and has become, because of obvious features it has, this what we have now. Yes. Sorry, so yeah, but it doesn't matter. It wouldn't have been worse or better much under either. Right. Because it would embolden more Trumpers, or it would, and it, or it will have this weird fucking reactionary shit. Yeah, kind of. No matter who's in charge, these were ten still tensions. They were unresolved yeah. and would remain unresolved. And we're just seeing the magnifying, like as you're saying, Corey. Like from your experience of quarantine, that's yeah. I mean, I don't want that either. But oh wow, cool! Someone's doing fucking anything. Yeah, yeah. is kind of exciting, right? Because I don't imagine the United that Atlanta, if they said, "All right, y'all are all on lockdown," I'm not seeing the food deliveries. Really, as no. big of a play, you know, like that is yeah. something that it just I mean, they weren't exactly like. delivering gourmet groceries and, and pre cooked. Well, they were some pre cooked meals, but you know, it was basic subsistence, but at least they were acknowledging that they had to do something to help people who were in, in a situation that they didn't create. It's like, I can't let you go to town. It's like you dropping a bomb on a city. That would be bad. However, you also aren't bad, or you will resist this if there is no, no comfort to it. I do think it would be possible to lock the entire country down in the United States without physically locking it down. Or at least it might have been if we didn't have, you know, if all authority hadn't dissolved yeah. under our feet in the last over the last period of time, like all like yeah. the CDC. Yeah, exactly. The state failed altogether. And that's how we got here. Right. But like there are ways you could do it. Right. Like you you can approach it one of two ways. You can 
physically lock everybody down and physically close communities and hold people down at the end of a gun. Or you can just give people money. You can just give people the money so that they don't have to do anything. So that everything continues to just sort of coast along for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then are really really judicious about who's allowed to drive you know and that's it like that's that's all you have to do you just have to like make sure that people who are driving are going to and from getting groceries and not like just going to a bar and you keep the big places where super spreader events are going to happen closed down and we could have done that if we just gave people money it's interesting that you make that point because like where I am, that's the approach they took is that they physically locked people in certain areas down. But, right. you know, but they also did them like the, the broader kind of guidelines and enforcement for places that weren't physically as locked down as my neighborhood was. But if you look at how Europe handled it, that's exactly what they did is they gave people money. Mm-hmm. They said, we're closing down certain facilities and businesses for the good of everyone's health. We're asking you to do this. And people by and large complied with that. Right. Um, so. So, right. you know, I, it's obviously two very different approaches, but we, we could see the efficacy of them. And of course, our answer was the worst of both worlds. Uh, we did absolutely nothing to contain it because our government at this point is so non-functional that it is in a perpetual gridlock and capable of saving even itself. But Rachel, what, what if we gave people money and they didn't use it to buy the most essential things? What if they used it to buy something like, you know, a bag of cookies? How, how could we live with ourselves? Well, that's stimulating <laughs> yeah. the economy, friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's called demand side economics or as economists call it, <laughs> economics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to, we're going to cut getting to about an hour and I think I want to bring some narrative closure to the Bell Riots, which is yeah. that Benjamin Sisko commits a massive violation of the Temporal Prime Directive becomes Mr. Bell. But the real key here is that he brought back with him Jadzia Dax, the 900 year old hot chick. <laughs> who seduces Jeremy Brenner of Brenner Information Systems, essentially an Elon Musk function. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went skiing on Mount Cook in high school in the 1990s. So we, I went to high school with Jeremy Brenner. Uh, sorry, Christopher Brenner. He received a Maori tattoo, but by the 2020s, he had had it removed, because, uh, which is actually completely in line with reality. Yeah, um, nobody oh, yeah, would I continue had this, to have I had that. this tribal tattoo, but like, can we just scrub this? They're like, oh yeah, no, we have a little thing for that. It is very offensive now, Sarah. And he's like, I know I've been wearing long sleeve shirts for six weeks. I just heard. I just got back on. Like, yeah. But that being said, he encounters a uh, Dax after their time jump and Dax convinces Brenner to give the rioters access to the computer system so that they can broadcast to the world. That is to say, Elon Musk says, sure, you can use my uh, wireless password and that is <laughs> actually what creates the real the conditions of the bell riots continue to happen the entire time. In fact, uh, it like would have without and without this, the bell riots would not have occurred. It's maddening, isn't it, folks? Well, so let me ask you this. Do you think that's an argument in favor of turning all internet infrastructure into public utilities? Or was it Star Trek's argument in favor of keeping it in private hands so that, you know, there was a way around it in case the government decided to shut down all communications? 
Well, so you can do both. You can create local networks in your community. That's like a thing you can just do. They can't stop you. Like physically, that's you can do it with radio waves. Like, yeah, that's true. But I'm I'm talking about the actual internet infrastructure because it it's in a way. I I just thought about this because obviously I'm in favor of internet infrastructure being a public utility and free for all. But right. one of the arguments would be that if you put it under under public control, then it's more likely to be used against a population and and right. that keeping it in private. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that argument. I could just see that that argument is being made. And I almost wonder if that was the point that they were making in that episode. It is curious because we also are uh, the day after Donald Trump has been the day that Donald Trump has been removed from Facebook. Actually, Edward Snowden raises this exact question, uh, essentially, right? Is that the way you want that to be done? Does Mark Zuckerberg get to dictate truth? And I think in general, I, I agree with the public policy perspective because the public mechanism, the government, the state ostensibly has some interest in keeping everything functioning and to me, some obligation to me. And hi, welcome. Welcome everyone to my constitutional law lecture where I explain in extreme excruciating detail why it follows a constitutional originalist argument for the internet to be nationalized under the auspices of the post office clause. That's right, folks, the post office clause, where the founders basically <laughs> piled in all of your information rights and communication freedoms. They said, we want you to be able to talk to each other about stuff. This is that. Um, that, yeah. that concludes the lecture, but it is, yeah, I've been making that, I've, yeah, it's been a, I mean, a we literally call it email. We call it email. Yeah. It is the default well, sure. way of communicating with each other at this point. We don't send snail mail. No one does anything that is not like a shirt or something. You're going to send it in an email if it's just words. I agree. It's ridiculous. But also, I, I see your point, Corey, about being worried that that's something that our government might be willing to do. You know, we, and I think this is, hopefully I will be wrong by the time, listener, you are hearing this, but what I fully expect to happen during the Biden administration is for the police state to be really fed and expanded in a massive way. And then unfortunately, when inevitably the tables are turned, the right-wing fascist side of the country, which will still be there, they took 50 years to get there, they're not going anywhere in four. Whoever they elect- No, they all went home. Yeah, They all went right. home, it's fine. <laughs> right. Whoever they elect will use it against and to suppress the left and do fascism with it. Oh, and we also see that happening around the world. I mean, there's plenty of governments that utilize the internet as a way to control public discourse by cutting off access to things that they don't want people to use for sharing ideas. And people are yeah. always finding enterprising ways to get around that. So it's not as if it's unheard of that an authoritarian government could utilize the internet in that fashion. Right. Absolutely. But then the corporations are ultimately just work with them. Like Google said, oh, sure. Yeah. You know what? We're fine with it. China we will set you up something you love. And they're more than ready to do it. And I mean, their product, Google's product is designed for that. They set the priority yeah. of things. I don't want to come off like an ignorant fucking congressman in front of Zuckerberg asking about my iPhone. But I mean, ultimately, this is true. And this is a thing about yeah. which we yeah. need rules and to consider how they're go how that works. This should not be a decision made unilaterally by a board of executives. So they can exactly. juice sales numbers. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I absolutely agree. There are certain things that are too important to be attached to profit. And the internet is one of them. Which brings us around to the other side of it. You know, the bad side of the internet, of course, is that people Wait, like is there QAnon. a negative? Is there a bad what? side to the internet? Haha. <laughs> this is the first time hearing Sorry. of that. <laughs> yeah. So 
the very people who stormed the proverbial castle yesterday, uh, they were, as you mentioned, QAnon supporters. And that is a cult that I think could only have developed on the internet. Oh, it's absolutely, it's the most online call. I mean, there's a Kekistan flag and a Pepe mask and a bunch of that pho photography. Their aesthetic is online. They are posters. They're shit poster war army. Got, they're right there. Yes. And they discussed all of this on forums, but like all of this was out. Like, again, we're oh, sitting yeah. in the same world where they caught that girl through her Etsy mug. Yes. Um, well, and these people are quite literally monarchists, actually. They have this cult of personality around Donald Trump and the Trump administration and they want that administration to be in until Trump is dead. Like literally well, and explicitly they are monarchists. Well, that's so, I, and again, I, I will credit all of my knowledge on this topic largely to the work of Travis View and the QAnon Anonymous podcast, who is, I'm sure, getting a lot of donations as of this week, but I'm going to go start giving them to him. But what they actually want, they just believe Trump is going to bring about the end they want, which is a cascade of federal indictments for child sex trafficking pedophilia rings from which they withdraw adrenochrome. I know it's madness. Just roll with it. He is just a vehicle. The theory is... Is already is already sort of modifying and working around his not actually delivering as we speak every time right. a, a deadline passes they build there is another excuse so it, it is not a donald trump cult that believes that there is a satanic child sex abuse cult that runs the entire government and while this is true we know who was in uh, epstein's <laughs> little black book it was the guy who said that two thousand dollar checks would overheat the economy so we don't right that's yeah we it's uh and so again like it's I think it's important to make sure we identify this entity properly because they love him and he loves them, but he can't actually deliver what they want. And when that becomes clear, they will find somewhere else to be and they yeah. will continue to be an issue, whether he dis disappears and goes completely anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is very plausible. And I guess like they are sort of the, the clearest counterpoint to the internet can also be bad because it can really further and propagate and add numbers to these kinds of totally outlandish conspiracy theories. And I can't even like blame these people, right? Because like you said, we do. We do have pedophiles at the highest levels of power. They just aren't capable of extracting anything from children and therefore aren't. I'm sure they would. Adrenochrome's a shitty drug and it's easy to synthesize and it's not that much fun. Yeah. <laughs> like... Well, actually, this speaks kind of to a replicator question of whether the real thing or the synthesized version is the best. And I'm sure that there are a number of websites yeah. that extol the exact difference right here and now from the perspective of, let's say, Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks or uh, right. Nancy Pelosi. It's a very big web. Right. Well, and that's kind of the key, too, is that it includes everything. It's a sticky theory, like it is a modular and sticky theory that can basically latch onto anything else you got, which is also very Internet. And it's super memeable. Yes. And, you know, the internet's spreading these conspiracy theories around. It totally makes sense. I get why. It can be fundamentally destructive to society to allow such things. And with that, I would like to share with you my conspiracy theory. It's theories. that time, gang. Are you ready? It's that Go time. It. Everybody yeah. don your tinfoil hats. I'm going to beam some information straight into your brain. Uh, and if you're not wearing the tinfoil hat, you will not be able to conduct it. So please apply it now. I'll wait. Okay, I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> so my theory is the canonical Star Trek universe takes place in a universe where the Nazis actually won. Discuss. This aligns with the eugenics wars. Well, I mean, it certainly... That outcome of that certainly speaks to that. Yeah. Please, go ahead, Corey. 
I would just I would just say it certainly would have a lot of uh, it would shed a lot of light on Star Trek's obsession with Nazis and why they continue to do Nazi episodes and callbacks to Nazi eras throughout every single series. So right, sure. I mean, given we're the Terrans, I can't say it's the worst theory I've ever heard. Right, right. Well, that's the thing. It's like we're clearly the Terran I mean, Empire here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I actually am going to go so far as to say the Nazis didn't just win. Like, it wasn't just that the Axis powers won World War Two. It was that they won World War Three uh, and imposed a very, very militarized, rigid, autocratic institution in the form of the Federation, which became sort of the de facto government for the entire quadrant of the galaxy. And because of that, because they are the ones in charge who actually kind of won, assuming that society continues such as it has, where rich people never get punished for their crimes, they went on, they became the Federation, and that is exactly why the Federation engages in so much fuckery. That is exactly why they're so obsessed with the Nazis is because in their hearts, they know who they are in the canonical <laughs> Star Trek universe in the prime. Universe. And they love that big, bad, mad science. I mean, they do just like, hey, what are you guys doing? Some kind of mm-hmm. crazy experiment where we might collapse reality on itself. Why? See what happens. They love it. Okay, team. They're not above torturing sentient life or doing genocide. They've done both of those. Oh, yeah. At least it's sort of weird, though, because even in that, then the hard anti-colonial, anti-imperial angle of the Prime Directive makes all the more sense, too. It's sort of like Germany's current policy of just not putting boots on the ground anywhere. Like, we'll give you planes. We'll give you money. We got all the logistical support you want. We just do not put boots on the ground because we're real bad at pulling them back. So we just don't do that. And that's the thing. And again, Germany's militaristic, Germany's policies and setup have their own issues. But I appreciate this hard line to draw in the sand. And I feel like having the prime directive, hey, don't fuck with people that you could definitely just overrun is definitely a holdover from, all right, so we get it. We can't, we got it. That didn't work out for us. We got real mean. We got to just draw a a stiff line around it. Whereas the Klingons can handle their shit. They're like, oh yeah, every now and then we just punch the shit out of each other until someone dies and then they're president. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, it's coherent. I mean, the Klingon process is at least sort of coherent and yeah. in that way. Yeah, no, I think Klingon culture is fairly coherent. There are a couple of weird things they do in Discovery where they just sort of ignore the gender dynamics of the 90s and don't explain like how those happened and like whatever I'm here for it because frankly I think you know good on them I will stretch the truth so that they can be you know more inclusive I'm down but that does add some inconsistency in terms of patriarchy and in terms of sort of the way women are treated within that society because they go from having a woman as is it emperor is that the official Uh, title I always forget yeah, yeah, she's essentially the well, the, the the chancellor, but then she says, you know, call me mother. But chan, you know. but chancellor right. is correct. So the yeah. chancellor, yeah. So yeah. you know, the woman who becomes a chancellor in Discovery as just like an example, like by the time Next Generation comes around, they've gotten wildly misogynistic again. Oh, yeah, you the, know, the, so it's the titty window ladies that can't be president. Right, right. <laughs> I do. To be clear, I am pro titty window, though. That is. An excellent fashion choice. It seems a um. poor combat choice. Like, that's combat armor. The rest of it is armor. And it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, just put it here. Put it right here. Oh, they have they have two, they have, like, double-walled rib cages and several hearts. So, you know. Yeah, I think the armor is perhaps primarily for show. <laughs> Based on well, their many, many redundancies. If you say so. So do you think we would be better off right now if we were in the Klingon Empire than we currently are? No, they'd have beat me to death a long time ago. A mouthy. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, and I'm not big. <laughs> well, it actually raises a lot of the question of whether the Klingons could even become warp capable if their entire culture celebrates the beating of ass and precious little else. And it clearly 100%. doesn't, but it does seem to be the like only thing they ever talk about. Um, they get into that in Enterprise a bit where they where they talk about how uh, the, the Klingon Empire only values the warrior caste and how they don't uh, value the sciences. And that's why they're so far behind in medicine. Um, so I agree. Like there's questions about how they would ever become warp capable unless unless you put it in the context of if you look at how America develops a lot of our technology, it comes from the military. And if you look at it in that context, then it does make sense because if they, they would develop whatever technology they need to be able to continue their, their militaristic pursuits. Incidentally, uh, this capacity of the Klingons to produce new and unimaginable ways of killing other things uh, is exactly why the why Starfleet decided to bring them into the Federation and try and end the war. It actually didn't have anything to do with casualties and everything to do with the Nazis running it, wanting that technology. Oh shit, are the Ketimer Accords Project Paperclip? Yes. Boom! <laughs> Well, the opposite of Project Paperclip because it's the Axis powers. Yeah, you get the idea, though. Same. They would have done the same thing yeah. to the American scientists. Yeah, that's about right. Oh, boy. Well, so I've about run out of things to say about this one. I think we've done said yeah. quite a bit of things. Uh, yeah. Benjamin Sisko, please come save us from ourselves. Bring Dax and Bashir yes. and his genetically oriented, genetically engineered ass and the, yeah, the 900-year-old woman. Mostly do bring Dax, though. <laughs> but not Esri. No, Esri's fine. It's just a weird thing that they did. Yeah, no. I mean, Judzia was my favorite Dax, of She's course. the Dax. But that's a whole separate conversation. What do you think we need to do to... Avoid the bell riots. Do you think we can? You know, I just don't feel like we're going to be able to avoid it. I think that because our leadership is so enamored with these technocratic solutions and this these incremental fixes and have never demonstrated the capacity to embrace like radical transformative change, I think is it's always going to be our Achilles heel. And I don't even know if it's possible for us to experience a conflict that's so bad that it makes us pull our collective heads out of our ass. You know, I feel like if something was going to do it, it probably would have been the year of our Lord 2020. But who knows? You know, 2021 is young. We'll see. What do you think, Paul? I will quote Captain Jean-Luc Picard. It is possible to make no mistakes and still lose. Yes. There you go. I mean... You know? Yeah. And I think we're still making mistakes. So, <laughs> so we're, woo. You know, we are going to do our best. Uh, hopefully, dear listener, things are better on your end of this time spectrum. Uh, if they are not, please break all of the accords uh, and do come back in time and save us. Time travel is good, actually. Don't leave us here to die, please. Again, Thank from you. the episode's bottle perspective, it's just two weirdos in suits that show up and ask you questions, then you lie to them, and it's like, fine. It's like, fine. They're like, were you at the bell rides? You're like, no. Definitely not. <laughs> All right, well, uh, if you enjoy this content, if you like hearing us babble about war and famine and misery... Uh, and all of your other favorite Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yes, uh, if you enjoy the Horsemen of the Apocalypse and you enjoy our content, please consider going to patreon.com slash not safe and becoming a patron. Uh, that is for our co-op network thing that we're all in called Not Safe Media. We do a lot of really cool shows. We do Not Safe for Wonks as a video streaming show Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We also have Anti-Monday Action and Ungirl within that. We have... 
a great couple of shows that are also on the podcast network. Uh, a Time of Monsters by Aaron from the Trillbillies. And just go to the damn website. It's in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. Hot Girl Agenda by Rara Eimler. I wanted to throw that one in there because I know hers is around. They already and of course they already clicked this. on the link. They do it with the, they do what we tell them. That's true. They did. I don't. Yeah, we have a lot of really good shows, y'all. We do cool stuff. We have cool friends. We make cool merch sometimes, and you should come check us out. Notsafemedia.com uh, or YouTube.com/slash/notsafemedia, where you can see all of our cool stuff and more. Give me money, please. Thank you. Well, until next time, I'm communism. I am space. And I'm gay. Bye, everybody. (laughs)